Good morning, everyone. Please have a seat, and thank you again, Meg, for doing our announcements and scripture reading this morning. Thank you also to Mr. Glatzel and Stephen for joining Jamie in worship this morning, leading with us. It was a beautiful service of worship, and just want to greet everyone that is joining us online. It is so good to be with you, whether you're virtual here, across the, who knows the world maybe, and it is also good to be together in this room with one another. Um, if you're new with us this morning, there are Connect cards in the brand new seat pocket uh, card holders. How about that? I mean, there's actually some good things going on here during the week with Jamie and I, and we'd love for you to take a minute to fill those out. And as always, you can find all of the information on the lo- online with us. We are in the Bible app. Our sermon notes are in the Bible app if you want to look for that as well. But it is so good to be together this morning. Happy Sunday, and I'm so glad that you are here Um, Today is sort of an exciting morning for me because we begin a brand new series that we're calling Essential Prayer. Essential Prayer. And we will be talking about this for really the next four weeks and it will lead us into the month of November. And November um, is a very special and what I would like to say an important month for New City Covenant Church because we're going to enter into a month of prayer. Now what I don't want to do is make this like... um, mistake of thinking that we only pray in November or like in certain seasons. That's not what I mean to imply. But we are going to take a special uh, intentional effort to pray for each other, to pray for our community, and especially to be in prayer about the future that God has for us as a community. And so I would like to start to invite you into sort of what I'll call a time of preparation as we start to lean into this What's that month of prayer going to look like in November? And we're going to have a number of special things that we're going to invite you into in November. We're going to ask you to participate in that. We might actually get you on video. (laughs) You're so excited about that, I know. Um, But it's going to be a very important and special time for us. So the Essential Prayer Series is going to start today with sort of a macro-level conversation about prayer, particularly how um, one story and the prayers of one of the Old Testament kings impacted an outcome. And then as we move forward throughout the month, we're going to get more and more finite and uh, intentional about the individual impact of our prayers and our relationship with the Lord. And you will hear me say this line today a few different times, and it really is guiding our conversation. And you heard it in the, in the, in the Psalm 46 scripture, and it goes like this. The storms of life bring chaos. But God's steadfast love brings stillness. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we're so thankful to be together uh, this morning. We're so thankful for our kids and what you're doing in their lives. We're thankful for even this new confirmation program that we launched this morning. These wonderful middle school students that you have brought to our church. And God, what a responsibility we have as a community to raise them up in, light of, in the light of Christ. And so, Father, we pray that you would woo them in just like all of our kids, that we would see a generation of children and teenagers find and follow you. And may you use New City to be a beacon of hope for them in that situation, in that calling. And God, thank you for every person in this room. You brought them in the doors of this church this morning for a reason. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would attend to their hearts, their minds, and their souls exactly where they are right now. And Father, I want to pray that the words that come out of my mouth with this sermon today would just be an offering to you. I give it to you, God, and I ask you to make it good, that nothing will be said that you don't want to be said, and that everything that we need to hear, we would hear from your Spirit. We give you all the glory, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. 
Now, I'm going to ask for a little grace and forgiveness ahead of time for what I'm about to do, because I'm about to use a actually kind of sacrilegious illustration to start us off this morning. And so a little bit of grace, everybody nod your head so I know we're on the same page, all right? I want to start off this morning with what I think is maybe the perfect series of words from a song that I think really articulates what we've all been through over the last two maybe even three years now. And it's from the 1975, I was two, by the way, cult classic Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. And it says this, you know the words, don't sing it, just listen. Is this real life? Think about the last two years. Is this real life or is this just a fantasy? Caught in a landslide, no escape from reality. Now, I apologize in advance because that's probably going to be running in your head and you hear his voice right now. I get all that. But I think this is a perfect way to describe what has truly and tragically been um, our lives over the last two years, or at least what we've lived through over the last, let's say, two plus years in our world. And I don't know where you were when the COVID-19 pandemic sort of shifted into high gear. Um, It certainly was probably one of those moments where you remember where you were when you heard, don't come back to work tomorrow. Stay in your house, right? Like there was a moment where you can remember where you were when that sort of news came out when the pandemic hit. For me, on March 11th, 2020, I was at a Bible school in Argentina, in the middle of nowhere, rural Argentina, I will confess in hindsight, we probably shouldn't have went on this trip, okay? Because we knew something was coming, right? But we said, oh, God's got us. We'll be fine. We'll be just fine. But we were teaching at a Bible school um, called Acts 29, which is an incredible program. It's a 10-week Bible program. I won't go into it right now, but we had the joy of teaching there for a week. And when I say we're in the middle of rural Argentina, I mean we took one big plane, we took another plane, another plane, and then another four-hour van ride into the middle of nowhere. In my mind, this was one of the most remote places I've ever been in the world. And I've been to some places, right? It was in the middle of nowhere. The closest town I can even remember being was like maybe 30 minutes away. And it was rural Argentina with a group of about 50 college-age students and a number of leaders in sort of a compound. We were in this school compound, and we were teaching, and we knew the pandemic was coming. But we were so remote, there was no cell service, and there was no Wi-Fi, which Maria really appreciated not hearing from me at all, right? Like, that was not a very uh, exciting thing. But we were so remote that if we wanted to connect with home, and hear any of the details of what was going on with the pandemic, we had to go and walk down the highway. Because in Argentina, and I don't know if they have this anywhere in North America, maybe they do. In Argentina, they have like a highway Wi-Fi system. So if you break down in the middle of nowhere, you have some connection to you know, your, your device. And so we would walk down um, the highway and we would try to get Wi-Fi service to get an update on what was going on. And every time we did that, like once a day, we would hear like the momentum of the pandemic picking up and we were starting to get nervous. And frankly, there was starting to be a feeling of chaos for us because we were so disconnected. We didn't know what was going on at home and we didn't know what was going to go on with us. Now, one day, one morning on that Wednesday, March 11th, we had just finished teaching. It was almost time for lunch and in drives this van 
to this remote school in the middle of Argentina. And in the van, come to find out there's two doctors who were from a, you know, a neighboring village, and they had heard that there was two Americans in the region. And they wanted to check us out because they wondered if we were sick. And so they interviewed us. Um, you know, there was a language barrier, but they did their best. We did our best. And we weren't sick at all. There was no fever. There was nothing at all. But nobody knew what was going on. It was that very pivotal moment. And then they start talking very quickly in their native language. And we couldn't really catch on. But all I could make out was they were thinking about quarantining us. Like isolating us in, in a house kind of arrest kind of thing, situation. Which that's what we were thinking back in March 2020, right? And they said, listen, stay here. Don't take any aspirin or ibuprofen. We're going to go and meet with the local leaders and we'll come back tomorrow and we'll let you know what we're going to decide to do. So my colleague and I looked at each other and we said, we don't want to get stuck in Argentina for two weeks. There was even a moment where we were wondering if they would close the borders in the United States. Would the Argentinian government close their borders? We didn't know how long it could be. And in fact, um, there were students that were from neighboring countries like Chile. They, could, they didn't get back home for months. So we looked at each other that day and we said, we've got to get out of here. And over the next 36 hours, through a lot of prayer and a lot of money, we were able to get home. And it took a long time. And every corner of that trip home, I kept thinking the police were going to you know, detain us. It was just the most unreal thing. But we made it. And it was an amazing thing. And that actually launched, that moment in Argentina launched what would be for all of us two years of chaos. Two years of waiting for the chaos to end. And like all of us here, that was sort of my beginning of the pandemic. And it has impacted me deeply for the last two years, me and my family. And I think that this phrase right here can sum up sort of maybe the two years. We have all lived through so much. All of us in this room, we have all lived through so much. The pandemic has wreaked havoc on our lives and on New City Covenant Church. And not just New City Covenant Church, but indeed in every covenant church across North America. Some of us lost our jobs during the pandemic. Some of us lost our businesses or a portion of our businesses. Some of us have been sick. Some of us have lost loved ones. Some of us have lost friendships over the pandemic from one reason or another. And then there's the emotional stress of the pandemic. There's the lockdowns that we all dealt with. There was the homeschool that many of us had to navigate, which Lord, never do that again, right? There was the new office dynamics. We're all Zoom experts. We have debated endlessly around the solutions of the pandemic. And the list goes on and on and on. Then if you shift even looking at the last couple of years away from the pandemic, you see other levels of chaos. There's been an unbelievable amount of racial and social unrest in North America. George Floyd, Derek Chauvin, Black Lives Matter, white supremacy. And what about the political pain? We've all been embroiled in the Trump versus Biden political narrative that dominates all around us all the time. Republican versus Democrat, the Capitol attack, the insurrection, the church has indeed been divided in all these things. Divided across the body of Christ. There are so many things that have been, let's just say this, out of our control. 
And it has caused so much chaos. Even more recently, we were praying with John and Sally as their home was in the eye of the hurricane down in Florida. And thank God it was minimal damage, but still creating chaos, right? They have dear friends in Florida who have totally lost their homes. Chaos is all around us, even today. We have all lived through so much, both individually and corporately as a church, and it has deeply impacted our lives. And I will confess to you, if I'm being straight up and honest, that there are times where it's been overwhelming for me, where I've wondered, why haven't my prayers made an impact? Why has this chaos and this frustration and this, this, this season of life that we've lived through, why have the prayers not been answered? I've even at times been too frustrated to pray through these last two years. And if it wasn't for my kids and my wife, I'm not sure how I'd have made it through some of the, the most worst moments of the pandemic. And maybe that's partly your story too. It's been utterly overwhelming at times. Welcome to New City Covenant Church in 2022 as we rebuild, as we recover, and as we know more storms are sure to come. This turns our attention to prayer. And I wonder, and this is the honest question that I'd like to ask you today to consider, in your own heart, your own mind, if you took an honest look in the mirror and you really wrestled with the depth of your soul, I ask you this question, how have you prayed during this season in your life? How have you prayed as a community during this season? in your life. I will fully admit to you that there have been times where it's been very difficult for me. Is that the same for you? And this is where Psalm 46 comes in so clearly. Psalm 46, as Meg wonderfully read for us, God is our refuge and strength. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Storms bring chaos, but God's steadfast love brings stillness. Now, I want to talk about Psalm 46 a little bit at the end of the sermon, but before we get there, I want to give you sort of the backdrop of the context of which this was written. The context of Psalm 46 and 46 was written in is actually very compelling. It's very interesting, and it paints a picture of why whoever authored this psalm wrote these words. And to do that, you're going to have to go back to a deep Old Testament story found in 2 Kings. You don't have to turn there in your Bible. I'm going to read it there for us. But we go back to 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19, and we read one of the stories of King Hezekiah. Now, we don't really know who wrote Psalm 46. Maybe it was King Hezekiah. Maybe it was the prophet Isaiah. Maybe it was indeed Solomon. We don't know. But Psalm 46 came from what most scholars think was the context of 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19. And I'm going to read for this a little bit about this. And I'd like you to hear these words because it frankly is a remarkable story. 2 Kings chapter 18, starting with verse 1, it says this. In the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, Hezekiah's, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Check this out. He was 25 years old. King Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. Down to verse 5, it says this, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, there was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before or after him. 
He held fast to the Lord, and he did not stop following him. He kept the commandments the Lord had given Moses, and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. This is an incredible story. Now, King Hezekiah, this 25-year-old king, was dealing with uh, problems coming down from the north. The Assyrian army, which is located around what we now call northern Iraq, this Assyrian army was massive and powerful. And they were moving down to actually confront the other powerhouse, which was Egypt. And the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah were both in the way. And we know from our biblical history that Assyria had crushed the north and now they were at the doorstep of Judah, the southern kingdom. And the, Ind- the Assyrian army was poised to attack the kingdom of Judah and something actually rather odd happens. Something that you don't read a lot about in history of any battle of any sorts. The king of Assyria, which is a person named Sennacherib, actually thought, we're tired of killing so many people. He said, I'm tired of just easily wiping out so many races of people. And so he sends his army commander outside the walls of Jerusalem to threaten, verbally threaten, Hezekiah. He wants to threaten him to surrender. And so we pick up the story in 2 Kings, verse 18, uh, starting with, I'm sorry, chapter 18, starting with verse 28. So the Assyrian army commander is standing outside the walls of Jerusalem and he's sending out these threats. And listen to what he says. Then the commander stood and called out in Hebrew, hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you from my hand. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyrians. Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and come out to me. Then each of you will eat from from uh, your own vine and fig tree and drink water from your own cisterns until I come and take you to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey. Choose life, not death. Do not listen to Hezekiah, the commander said, for he is misleading you when he says the Lord will deliver us. Has the God of any nation ever delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of the Sepharim, Hena, and Iba? Have they rescued Samaria from my hand? Who of all the gods of these countries has been able to save his land from me? How then can the Lord your God deliver Jerusalem from my hand. What a threat. This commander has the gall to stand outside the walls of Jerusalem and threaten Yahweh, our God. He says, yes, listen, people of Jerusalem, we are going to deport you. You will be our slaves, but you won't die. Choose life. Don't listen to Hezekiah. Your God will not deliver you. Have any of these other gods, these other countries, delivered the people from my hand? None of them have. 
Look at the rest of the nations. No one has stood in the way. Everyone has called out to their gods and none of them have responded. Can you imagine the city of Jerusalem surrounded by the Assyrian army? The chaos that they would have felt knowing all these other nations had fallen, including, including the northern kingdom, and you were now next. Well, how does Hezekiah respond? And frankly, friends, this is incredible. And it sets up what I believe God is calling us to in the storms of our lives. We go now to chapter 19, and we read verse 1, and it says this, When King Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes, and he put on sackcloth, and he went into the temple of the Lord. Chaos comes. Hezekiah tears his clothes. He puts on sackcloth, and he goes to church to pray. Sackcloth was an outward sign of an inward tragedy, an inward remorse, an inward grief. And it was part of Hezekiah's posture of prayer. It meant something physically, right? Like we get that. We're tactile people. We understand that sometimes the posture of prayer that we get into matters. And that's what Hezekiah did. He tears his clothes. He puts on this thing called sackcloth and he goes to pray. Hezekiah's response was to go to God and pray and ask God to present himself and to make this right. Can you hear God, what they're saying about you out there? The story goes on to say, and this is very important, as if it wasn't enough to hear this message being shouted over the gates of Jerusalem, the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, he actually then writes down his threats in a letter. All the chaos that he's promising, and he sends it to King Hezekiah. He writes it down in a letter, and he sends it to Hezekiah. Hezekiah gets this letter. He's in this state of prayer and in, he, in, in uh, chapter 19, starting with verse 14, it says this. Hezekiah received the letter from the messenger and he read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and he spread the letter out in front before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord. Hear what your servant is requesting of you. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words of Sennacherib, who is sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. There is an enemy of our souls. There is someone, there is someone always standing outside the gates of our lives, always creating chaos, always challenging us, always calling us to let go of our faith. There's so many situations that we've dealt with, and this is the truth. And that enemy, as we know, the Bible teaches is Satan. Satan would rather employ this strategy, just like Sennacherib. He would rather you not fight at all. 
Satan would rather you just give up when the storms of life come in. He would rather you just give up, give in, be Satan's slave, and why there's at least three reasons why Satan tries to employ this strategy. Number one, Satan knows that if he fights you, you are probably going to win. If you actually choose to not give up and to fight Satan head on, you're probably going to win. Why? Because you have Jesus. Number two, Satan knows you are probably going to get through it, whatever it is, that storm that you're dealing with, and you're going to be stronger on the other side. Welcome to following Jesus and the spirit of being made in the image of God. You're probably going to be closer to God as you go through the chaos. Number three, Satan knows that what God does in your life through this battle can be a great blessing to other people. There may be people that decide to follow Jesus because you fight the battle. Satan would rather talk us all out of fighting the battle, just like the commander was trying to do with Hezekiah. Just give up hope. Now, we all have storms that we're dealing with in life, probably right now, certainly as we look at the last two years, and we know that more are to come. Right? That's part of life. Storms are coming. They have happened, they are happening, and they will happen. Maybe for you, someone has stabbed you in the back. Maybe it was a family member, or maybe it was someone that you dearly loved, or maybe it was somebody that you were in business with and they stabbed you in the back. They hurt you with their words or their decisions that they made. Maybe you've been through a divorce and it's been too painful for you to bear. Maybe it's financially related. You've dealt with storms of chaos financially that have been difficult. Or maybe you've had a lack of ability to provide for your family. Maybe it's been in raising your kids. It's very tough to do. As a dad, I can say that. Maybe it's been difficult for you. We all have things in life that right now have the ability to consume us. Hezekiah, this 25-year-old king, doesn't give up. He bows before the Lord in prayer and he spreads the letter out before God and he says, God, have you seen this? We are so dead. I'm not going to give it to anything except to spread this out before you and in prayer offer it before the Lord. And then he remembers these other gods that were destroyed, they were all made of temporary things. They were made of wood and stone or gold and silver. But not you. You are the God of Jacob. You are the living God, the God of the covenant. And God hears Hezekiah's prayer. And we read later in 2 Kings, a very amazing story where the Spirit of the Lord actually went out and destroyed the Assyrian army and they retreated. And the people of Jerusalem were saved that day. <laughs> Excuse me. God responds and something miraculous happens and reminds us that storms bring chaos. But God's steadfast love brings stillness. Now when I was growing up, I would tell you that hearing these stories of the angel of the Lord protecting God's people, you know, David conquering Goliath, these amazing stories, sometimes they were just too good to be true for me. I would hear them and I'd be like, I'm not sure that that really applies to me. I'm 15, 16, 17 years old. I'm just not sure. 
But I wonder when we read the stories of these scripture texts, this history of our faith, has it ever been more true to have faith in a God that does these kind of things for his people? Has it ever applied maybe more than in this season of our lives? I wonder, will we follow Hezekiah's lead as we lay out our burdens before the Lord? Now we go back to Psalm 46, and this is where we start to think about our words, and we know that there's just a few things that have impacted this, and I want to just point this out quickly because I think it impacts the way we read the psalm. The first thing is this. It says in Psalm 46 that God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Pay attention to that first phrase. God is. God is. Keep in mind the backdrop of this day and age. The storm that these people were facing. Keep in mind of what it would have meant that God was a refuge. A place of security. A place of of safety. As this massive army bore down. God is. And that's what God is for us. He is our refuge. In the midst of a life that is hard and overwhelming, we have a refuge. We have an unlimited source of strength. And the psalmist writes, whatever your moments of weakness, whatever your moments of pain, whatever your moments of fear, not only is there a refuge, but there's a source of strength. God is not a good luck charm God. He's not a karma God. He's not a genie in a bottle God that we just call on when we need something. The Bible says in Romans 8 that God, it says this, He's a God that says for those who love me and live according to my will, it's all going to work out for God's good. And God's good is always our good. Not that the storm is good, but it will work out for God's good for those who love Him. Romans 8 promises that. God is. Is. And our God is definition means so much. And the second thing I want to mention is this our God is moment leads to our therefore. Psalm 46, verse 2 says, Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, through its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Therefore, our therefore is our response to our God is. We all have a therefore in our lives. We all have a God is belief. The way we define that phrase leads to our therefore. And even though we don't deserve it, God gives us a therefore. The good news is that God is. The bad news is that we will experience storms in our lives. And we know this. We know that the Christian life is not about everything always being great. It's not always perfect or easy or happy joy. It's about being sustained in the midst of the difficult times by the Lord even when things don't make sense, even when we ask questions like, why is there death? And why is there pain? And why do the wicked prosper? And why aren't we getting the blessing? How do we respond? What does our prayer look like? And I also love in Psalm 36 how the psalmist calls out the temporary therefores. This is particularly something that has impacted me. The psalmist has taken the most tangible things that the people who are reading this would have known. Earth, mountain, and water. And he has named it as all temporary. These are things that can't be trusted in the same way that the one true God can. And in that, we are challenged. 
Which gods do we trust in times of stress? Do we rely on our own strength? Our own financial security? Do we rely on our own control of things? In life's storms, the most important question is, do we have a big G proper name God? Or do we trust in the little G gods that are all around us? Hezekiah trusted Yahweh, the one true God. He even brought the letter before God and he laid it out before the Lord. And he said, God, I trust you with this chaos, with this storm in my life. And I wonder if you'd be willing to do that today as well. When we trust in God, we realize that we have a God Almighty who is on our side fighting for us. We all get so caught up in temporary things. I am in no more control of the rest of this day than any of you are. We don't know when our days are numbered. We are not in control, but God is. And our God is belief leads to our therefore. I wonder, as we conclude today and we think long-term as a church, what will you lay out before the Lord? I want to invite you to think about this for a moment because we all have storms in our lives that we're probably dealing with on some level. And we all know that God is calling our church to a, a new future, a new hope. And I wonder if you would join me, like King Hezekiah, and spread out these things before the feet of the Lord. And so very tangibly, we've put little pieces of paper on your chairs today. They're all around you. If you don't have one, we can get you one. There's pens and papers and the chairs in front of you. And I just want to give you a minute. Jamie's going to come on up. In fact, why don't you come up now? Um, and he's going to play a little bit of music in the background for us. And what I want to just invite you to do is to spend maybe three minutes. And I would like to give you a chance just to journal. Maybe it's a bulleted list. Whatever those things that have caused chaos in your life, I want you to write them down. And what you do with this piece of paper today is up to you. Um, we're not going to have a time where you come up and lay it out for the cross, but essentially... I want to invite you to lay it at the feet of Jesus and let God care for these storms in your life. And together as a church, may we follow the psalmist's lead to be still and know that he is God. To be still and know that no matter what crushes around us, we have a God that is there for us, that is there to fight for us, to be our refuge and to be our hope and our guide. And so take that piece of paper over the next three minutes and then Jamie will lead us in our concluding worship. And I'd like to ask you to write those things down and lay it out at the feet of God. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word and for the story of King Hezekiah. Thank you for what an incredible illustration of faithfulness he is for us. There's a lot to unpack here today, Lord. I just want to pray that you will nudge our hearts and our minds in the direction that you want us to go. I want to thank you for the opportunity to wrestle with such heavy things. I mean, even as we write down um, these burdens that we might carry, these uh, levels of frustration and stress, things that have caused us anxiety over the last several years, and even maybe right now, would you take them, God, as we lay them at your feet and we ask for your help. Lord, we're so thankful for bringing us together as a community, and we believe that this is a particularly important season in the life of the church. Would you give us hope? 
and vision and know that you go before us doing the work in this world and what a gift it is for us to be a part of that. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.